Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim. And Shannon. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome to Right Spokane Perspective on this Wednesday episode. We are going to be visited here in the studio by Eric Stephen of Stephen Law Office. He will be talking about landlord-tenant laws and the challenges we have here in eastern Washington, North Idaho. We're going to jump into that interview after some inspiration. Our inspiration today is what could be better. Eric heard about Jesus' love for him while he was in his early 20s. He started attending church where he met someone who helped him grow to know Christ better. It wasn't long before Eric's mentor assigned him to teach a small group of boys at church. Through the years, God drew Eric's heart to help at-risk youth in his city, to visit the elderly, and to show hospitality to his neighbors. Now in his late 50s, Eric explains how grateful he is that he was taught early to serve. My heart overflows to share the hope I found in Jesus. What could be better than to serve him? Timothy is a child when his mother and grandmother influenced him in his faith, and he was likely a young adult when he met the Apostle Paul, who saw potential in Timothy's service for God and invited him on to the ministry journey. Paul became his mentor in ministry and life. He encouraged him to study, to be courageous as he faced false teaching, and to use his talents to serve God. Why did Paul want Timothy to be faithful in serving God? He wrote, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people. Jesus is our hope and the Savior of the world. What could be better than to serve him? Heavenly Father, please give us a heart to bring your hope to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Shannon found some inspiration today that had someone named Eric and Timothy. Completely in the unintentional. <laughs> I'm sorry if you knew I flew in here, um, you know, coming from, from many responsibilities and sat down at the table and here we are. I just happened to flip open and there it is. Okay. Right well, on. That, how does how does God work that way? That that works. So we do have a, a fellow named Eric Steven in the studio with us today. He is the principal of Steven Law Office and I want to invite him on the show just to introduce yourself. You know, what have you done with your life and what led you up to the topic we're going to talk about today? Tim, thank you so much for allowing me to be here today. You know, I didn't always start with a passion for housing, but I found one after I went to law school and and really enjoyed landlord-tenant relations. Before that, I I went to Mead High School in Spokane and and, uh, loved the area of Spokane. I I, uh, ran cross-country and track for Mead and then went to the University of Oklahoma and then came back here, was fortunate to go to Gonzaga's Law School and then uh, have been practicing here for about 33 years. Uh, with the practice emphasis in in subsidized housing and affordable housing, representing uh, benevolent nonprofit landlords across the state of Washington and and northern Idaho. I also represent manufactured housing parks and uh, mobile home parks and defend landlords charged with fair housing discrimination. Fair housing and discrimination. So the the landlord, I, I think, industry over the last several decades has really changed a lot. We went mostly from, you know, people just working a job and, you know, paying rent, working out deals with landlords. Now we have this large, I, I would say, a, a large inventory of housing that is subsidized by uh, state and federal programs. And the same landlords that had apartments renting to the private sector, mostly, you know, individuals paying their own rent, have transitioned to this new subsidy type program for housing. Is that kind of what you've seen? 
Well, yes and no. I think that the market has changed more in the last five years than it has in the last 30. Uh, I think that a lot of mom and pops are pulling out of the market. I think we've seen about an 18% exodus of the mom and pop landlords in the last three years, largely due to three very progressive legislative sessions where we had super control of the House and Senate by the Democratic Party in in state of Washington. That's huge. So we have seen a lot of of mom and pops pull out. I've seen a lot of the big private market landlords uh, move to other areas and, and try to get away from Washington. A lot of my big clients that are the private sector are choosing to develop in Idaho instead of Washington. Just because of the state laws. It because is interesting. State laws. I, it just today I saw a house with a for rent and a for sale sign out front, you know, two different signs. There's a real estate group selling it, right. and then also it's for rent. So we're looking at a changing market due to uh, state regulatory changes. I think it's even worse than you think, Tim. Uh, what I'm seeing, and I've talked to the Spokane City Council within the last two months, I'm seeing an exodus of the of the benevolent nonprofit subsidized housing providers because the market is getting so dangerous, because the restrictions on landlords are so onerous, the costs operating costs are so high and and so exacerbated and getting worse all the time. And I'm actually seeing a lot of the benevolent nonprofits starting to pull out, and that's the real scary thing. I told the uh, city council that I felt like I was the canary in the coal mine watching this catastrophic event happening and i'm wondering where when these people are going to step up and and start helping us and one of the biggest problems i see is a, a struggle with the downtown multifamily housing providers to get law enforcement support to have drug crime policed in their areas i've been begging the city to to just follow 5918075 for some of the state code that requires notice of seizure of drugs and i've told the told the city if you would seize these drugs and give notice of seizure, we could at least get people out of subsidized housing and open up these entitlement programs for one of the families on the list that's a mile long trying to get into them. And instead, like you said at the beginning, Tim, it's uh, it's we go to bat for 1% of the populace that's doing all the harm, exposing all these tenants to, to bad things, well, in talking to law enforcement, we we certainly do see a lot of representation and advocacy for criminals, but we never think about the victims. And in housing, the victims are the landlords, the other tenants, and, and as well, future tenants, because there's going to be less housing available for rent, or the quality of the housing is going to go down because we're allowing the criminal behavior, just like the homeless issue. There's really a small percentage of people that cause a lot of this problem when there is so much subsidized housing as far as the state's concerned. It's just that People that don't want to follow the rules don't follow the rules, and we all have to pay the bill. Let me let me tell you something though. We have these statutes, RCW fifty nine period eighteen period one thirty subsection eight, that requires an arrest for an assault or a threat with a weapon to be a violation of the Landlord Tenant Act. We have a statute, RCW seven point forty eight one fifty five, that says that you can discharge a firearm in a multifamily building and render other people insecure in life and use of property, and it's not nuisance activity unless there's an arrest what? so so, so the we, people are getting away with this we, in we, subsidized housing we're, I, we're subsidizing this kind of activity as taxpayers if if we can't get 
law enforcement to respond. If we can't get an arrest, and one of the big things right now is uh, mental health takedown, so they just remove somebody who's assaulted somebody else, and we don't get notice of an arrest. We don't. So a lot of times there's not an arrest, and the person's reintroduced into the complex two days later, and everybody's scared to death. And, uh, and not only the other tenants, but the managerial staff. I'm begging the city constantly to help us enforce trespass laws. We have people that force entry into these subsidized buildings downtown, force entry, go up into rooms, do drugs, and the managers can't get any law enforcement response to, to arrest these people for malicious mischief. They, can't, they won't arrest the tenant, even though 59.18.130 subsection 4 says that it's a, a, it's a criminal event for a tenant to cause malicious or intentional damage, and the tenants are responsible for the conduct of their guests. We can't get those, ver- those arrests very easily, and it, we have a, a devil of a time controlling this type of behavior. And then they go up and they do intravenous drugs until somebody comes and revives them with Narcan. Well, it, it seems this is something that our state policymakers, as well as municipal governments, have aided in this activity by, and it's not just new, I, you've got decades of experience here east of the Cascades and in North Idaho. North Idaho is a different story, of course, because of their laws. But in Washington, not only have we ignored the drug crisis, which is low-income housing crisis, as well as the homeless issue and uh, overdoses. So we're, we're just allowing the drug cartels to run our yeah. inner cities. Yeah. And at the same time, we didn't fund a jail, not just in Spokane County with the voters, but the, our current jail that's overcrowded and we don't have space, it's a revolving door, was originally funded back in the 80s by State Department of Corrections. So we don't have the jail space. And we also have a state government that I think is is it's subsidizing housing, but putting regulation to limit the landlords in doing anything at the same time, reduce their support for mental health institutions that house people that can't live peacefully with others. Yeah. Number one, we're last, Washington state is last in the country with respect to housing development. I met with the city policy advisors. They said, what's the number one thing we could do to change the, help the problem in Spokane? Increase the jail, get a bigger jail. We desperately needed a bigger jail. We need to be able to enforce our criminal laws. We need to be able to keep people in custody that constitute a threat to our, our community. So we're the and, lowest incarceration rate is what you said earlier. That's what's your... No, what we, have, we have the lowest rate of housing development oh housing development. Of new construction okay. in the united states in america it's my understanding we're also the the lowest in incarceration rates wouldn't surprise me but spokane desperately needs a new jail and a bigger jail and we desperately i i think that this whole problem with housing and rent increase rental inflation we've got, we shot down six rent control bills last session they're already there's been two rent control bills already brought up this current session. It's the big mantra right now. And I, I blame Inslee. I believe the state of Washington. I believe I blame the city of Spokane for their f- failure to incentivize housing development, their failure to incentivize growth in the housing sector. It's all a supply and demand issue. We're, we're last in de- construction of housing, and we wonder why rent is going up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we we obviously. are directly responsible for this, and we we try to fix it by overregulating builders and and people that would potentially save us from this. Not, most of my clients want to build self storage centers now, 
it's too it's crazy to be a landlord and now with the city of spokane doubling down on uh municipal code 10.57 and the registration program and all the new stuff now that just started right this new registration program just just started so so it adds cost for every single rental unit while at the same time landlords or people that have Vested in the past or are looking at future investments or developments are looking down the barrel of increased costs, but controlled income. So they might actually lose money on these investments. It, it gets even better than that, Tim. We our our division three court of appeals that sits in Spokane uh, has been just out of control with their progressive decisions, including the Brady versus Whitewater Creek holding where they found that the commercial subsidized housing landlord was potentially liable for foreseeable criminal activity in the area so now the landlord can be held liable if somebody else is assaulted by a criminal that i don't know how they're supposed to protect against that when we can't even get law enforcement response because of the number of staff problems they have in most of these law enforcement agencies so now the big thing that's going to come out of this that i'm just scared to death about is one of these subsidized housing providers getting hit with a big tort claim and then not being able to get property insurance. Oh, because then they can't insure the property because and, of damages or something going well, on. Well, because or if, you're, if, criminal you, activity. if you've got rampant criminal activity and you can't control that criminal activity, how in the heck are you going to be able to insure that property if you're liable for criminal activity? Well, and these are major issues that are already going on. And we just had a, a government that passed a law that said that you could build up to six units on a single lot, which violates other laws because they they're passing laws without recognizing the problems with the laws they already have and then it would have put all these landlords in a a position where they're commercial properties instead of residential so they obviously don't know what they're doing they must i think give uh, eric stevens a call before they start passing some of these regulations because it's obvious to me that the lawmakers have missed the boat in understanding the issue we're going to take a break we're going to be right back with eric steven steven law office talking about landlord tenant laws and what we're going to see coming in the future if we don't take action we'll be right back and welcome to 2024 yes right spokane perspective is still on the air thanks to you listeners that have contributed to keeping the show going Yes, those contributions go directly to the show. We fell a little bit short last year in our fundraising. We need to make sure that we can continue the show throughout the year. So you can go to rightspokaneperspective.com to contribute or send those most generous checks to P.O. Box 7620-99207 and make those checks payable to Right Spokane Perspective. Again, we want to stay on the air. We're going to be bringing you interviews throughout the legislative session about the things that are going on at the state capitol there in Olympia, and we'll be bringing you more interviews to keep us all informed on the things in our local community. Let's keep us on the air. Thanks again, and back to the show. And welcome back to Right Spokane Perspective. On this Wednesday episode, we are here with Eric Steven, Wow, I just got a, a whole lot of information that I think is important for for us as citizens to share with our legislature before they take any more action on property. It really seems like the, the cost of property keeps going up. We've got something coming up here just in a short time that the citizens are going to have to vote on to increase 
property taxes for public schools. I think that that's another issue with the cost of housing is the tax burden uh, from the state. And so when you're looking at low-income housing, subsidized housing, that all just turns around. So, you you know, like myself as a homeowner, it just makes it less affordable for me to, to stay in my home those on fixed incomes that are homeowners, it makes it difficult when you're paying thousands of dollars a year to rent your house and property from the government. And then, of course, you have this other taxation where we're paying for subsidized housing, but we have to pay more for the subsidized housing because the taxes on the subsidized housing. So jump in, Eric. Let's talk a little bit more about what Washington State has done, is doing, and what these advocates are looking to do to change the, the climate and you know the, the property rights of landowners and also the ability for people to secure housing. Okay, well, we've had a lot of uh, changes through the legislative process, as I mentioned earlier, through the last three legislative sessions. Last year, we saw six rent control bills. Currently, it's unlawful for any municipality to, to enact any kind of rent control. They still try to do it through very sneaky ordinances that, that do put conditions or taxes on, an, on a rent increase one way or another. But it's unlawful in Washington, and there's going to be an attack on that again. There's already been two big bills this uh, this session already trying to enact rent control. These largely come from uh, Senator Cooter out of Bellevue. Uh, Strom Peterson has a, a rent control bill going up this year. Now, uh, this is the, this legislative <coughs> session. We've got lawmakers right now meeting, talking about bills, introducing new bills, and also getting these bills into hearing rooms. And so I think the public needs to be engaged with this. Obviously, the legislature is supposed to serve us, the people. Yeah, there are Washington legislative websites. There's I, I work with the Washington Business Partners Asso- Properties Association, WBPA and RHA, the Washington Rental Housing Association, the Landlord Association, and then Doug Star. So those are the big affiliates that I work with, Manufactured Housing Community of Washington. It's really important to, to get involved with these advocacy groups for housing right now. It's really important to go online and vote on all these bills that are coming up, uh, many of which are a con position because they are, they're really horrible for housing. And they sound great at first blush. You know, who doesn't want to have reasonable rents? And I, and I, you know, I have kids in college. Well, I want rent control for me. I'm a, I'm a homeowner (laughs) and you know, my mortgage, my insurance, you know, and you look at the criminal behavior, my insurance keeps getting more expensive because we're not enforcing laws for property crime. My cost of living keeps going up because our schools are not accountable for the money they're spending and they're always asking for more money. They have less children enrolling in the schools, but they're building $90 million elementary schools. I don't have the funds to keep continuing to, to fund this as, as I want rent control for the regular taxpayer, including the subsidies that I'm helping pay for people that live in subsidized housing, we're going to pay a higher cost there the more that the government puts pressure in these places. And so uh, I did find that number. It is the hotline for the legislature. It's 1-800-562-6000. And I always encourage our listeners that they need to go use the tax payer-funded social media site, ledge.wa.gov. Look up the laws. You can go look at landlord-tenant. You can go look at housing laws. Look at the laws that interest you and comment on the bills. Contact your legislators and let them know. That website, uh, ledge.wa.gov, it is interactive. You can get updates on, on laws and issues as they come up. So if you're a landlord or a renter or just a taxpayer in Washington that sees these issues as important, 
Comment on those bills. Call that legislative hotline. Again, 1-800-562-6000. And let's tell our government we're tired of the increased costs due to unaccountable, incompetent governance. I, I agree, Tim. And, uh, you know, the property tax thing just burns me because I, I've yet to have the government fail to increase my property taxes every year. And uh, this this notion that that we're going to freeze one part of the uh, economic triangle and and not not the other parts is just crazy. We're it, just to ignore supply yeah. and demand. We ignore right. that reality as right. if it doesn't exist. And then, of course, they're going to you know stop development. They're looking at these urban growth boundaries, and they're doing all sorts of things to to cut off infrastructure for developers to add to the supply. I don't know how they can restrict the the value of properties that are currently in service it's it's just a death march to to housing and it and it bothers me on so many levels because it's so it, it seems so great and at first blush so many of these policies that they talk about until you see how they're really applied and, and how it works out and we're breaking the system something fierce it's it's real close to not being able to recover and i really pine for elected officials that give some deference to history. I was a liberal arts major in, in college, and, and we're supposed to learn from history. And history does repeat itself. And when all the economists parade through these legislative hearings telling you rent control fails, rent control fails, it causes higher rent, it causes gentrification, it causes dilapidation, it it has historically failed everywhere, and then we have these nitwits that think it'll be different now, and it won't be different. We need to right. learn. We need to be smart enough to learn. And, from and this isn't new. This so these folks that are blazing the trail as they pretend they're blazing the trail on these kinds of policies. I, I remember studying Cabrini Green. Folks, look it up. Cabrini Green. It was a failure. The crime rate was horrible. The government was in the way of doing all the right things, uh, and they just kept charging forward. We can look at California. California has implemented a lot of these things in areas, and what happened? Investment left. They lost congressional seats in the last census, right? So we see the failure of these policies. We need to make it to where these lawmakers and these advocates that think that they're going to, you know, rewrite the rules of reality. We've seen the failure of this. This we've done the case study. It was done in California. We can look at other major cities. These policies fail every time we've seen it in Seattle failed there too. Yeah. Historical failures. I, uh, I was just reading something about Portland, Maine. It was in the newspaper the other day, and they, they had just recently enacted rent control a few years ago, and they're already seeing gentrification. They're already seeing a lot of the consequences. Like I said, it's really disheartening. It's disheartening because I have so many clients that are on incredibly noble missions to provide housing to, to people of the last resort that desperately need it, and I see a few bad apples that screw it up, and, and are just completely devastating the program. And the, and the well, really hardest yeah. part is is watching the offensive, harassing conduct that these people get to engage in while they abuse these entitlements. And they pervasively abuse these entitlements, not just in housing. We see it it's across the specter. Welfare fraud, basically. Correct. And and a lot of the times. And, and what they put these housing providers through, these managing it's agents. It, it's It's really sad. And... Uh, well, from from my perspective, and and I, you know, I might have a limited perspective as a taxpayer and as someone who works overtime to pay more taxes in my in my regular job. I view subsidized housing oftentimes in the wrong light, but I, I see it as 
drug addicts. I see it as people that refuse to work, refuse to follow the rules, people that abuse government programs. That's what I view subsidized housing as because those are the ones that are, are I think are causing the problems of, of the cost of subsidized housing when really what it should be helping is grandma and grandpa that couldn't afford to stay in their home because the property taxes are too high and the insurance because it, it costs more to live in the house now that it's paid off than it did when they bought the house and raised their kids in it. So the subsidized housing that we should be focused on isn't, you know, the drug addicts, the, the pro- troublemakers, the criminals, uh, those that are doing human trafficking, drug trafficking. Those need to be kicked out of the subsidized housing so that those on a fixed income, those who are uh, struggling with mental illness, have a place to be and be safe. So, Tim, subsidized housing is a beautiful thing, and, and it's necessary in our community, and it's what's going to save our streets. But we have to provide these subsidized housing providers with the tools so that the, the people that you're talking about, the riffraff and the scumbags that are, that are abusing these programs and have no business because they're really not eligible, they need to, the, the providers need the tools to deal with these people in a real way, in real time. Not right now. We're we're all dealing with the Washington State's interpretation of the CARES Act that every notice to a tenant that's any kind of affordable housing program needs to give them thirty days. So if you axe murder your neighbor, and and the state law says you get three days to vacate, the federal law application that was really meant for financial issues only for a limited time is being applied in the state of Washington to conduct issues, and you get a thirty-day wow. notice to vacate before the landlord gets to file a lawsuit and then before you have a hearing that's going to be continued for appointment of counsel and then have other continuance hearings before you get any kind of substantive hearing or trial because everybody's going to take so much time to get the case situated or juxtapositioned correctly to have uh, a substantive hearing on the rights. So what you just said to me in a few sentences told me in the back of my mind, I'm a landlord I'm a taxpayer paying for the subsidized rent of someone in this landlord's facility. And the troublemaker that's making everyone live in fear, trying to find a different place to live that's subsidized, just gets to live there for another 9 to 14 months working the system uh, while causing problems. That's what that says in the back of my mind. Frequently terrorizing everybody else. And and also one of our state laws, 5918650, subsection 6, the four-cause eviction statute our legislature gave us last session requires the landlord to disclose in notices who's been threatened, harassed, or made allegations about a tenant. So if you're the landlord and you're going to try to enforce these notices to make tenants follow the rules or make a tenant vacate, you have to disclose the identities of the people that have made complaints and bared witness against this person for their dangerous conduct half the time. So now and this the, person has to live in fear because their information that they has basically been be retaliated against. Right. And they so yeah, retaliation's so a big deal. They're scared to death to make complaints and uh, if they won't come to court and testify, then the landlord can't make their case. And these tenant advocates are great. They're so well trained. The Northwest Justice Project trains their advocates in such a great way. They raise every argument known to man to fight these cases. It's not uncommon to have four or five hearings before a tenant is removed from a property, even for the worst conduct uh, that can be criminal conduct. So not only is the 
apartment probably getting trashed because this person doesn't care about the the rules or these people's rights, whether they're, it's the landlord's rights or other tenants. They trash the apartment. There's that cost to the landlord. Plus, they're paying for legal, uh, like your services, and also court costs for multiple hearings, four or five hearings sometimes, plus the cost of evicting. I have heard where landlords basically just offer somebody cash, cash for case. to move. Yeah. So one of the things that you didn't touch on, Tim, is we have a case called Wilson versus Daniels that stands for the proposition that if the landlord accepts rent with knowledge of a breach, they waive the right to evict. So on top of all the other loss and damages the landlord's occasion during this situation, they're also not able to accept the rent because that'll waive their rights to terminate the tenancy and evict. And wow. I read a case the other day that's an old case that said that if you issued a notice to quit, you couldn't collect the rent because you had forfeited the right to collect that. You had forfeited the right to collect the rent because you, you told tried them they to, had to go to tell the person to leave, because even though they, they didn't leave. Yeah. So you can't rent it out to someone else to recover uh, those costs because the person's still there, but you can't recover the the rent that they agreed to pay that they weren't paying. Just crazy. So we, we have a limited time on today's show left. So I want to see if you can come back uh, for another show here so that people can really get a full grasp of this before they call that hotline to the legislature about this, you know, lawlessness in the landlord-tenant acts, I think, and, and laws that are being put on the books because we didn't even get to the anti-discrimination of tenants so that these tenants can go and cause other landlords the same problems they caused for the last one. So we got to talk about that. Thanks for coming on today. I think, folks, we're going to have him back tomorrow because this is such an important issue because it raises our taxes. It raises our cost of living, every citizen in the state, because of the crisis that we're causing in housing. All that being said, we'll be with you folks tomorrow. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Right Spokane Perspective. We are sponsored by Right Spokane Perspective LLC and made possible by advertisers you hear and contributions from listeners like you.